Welcome to Message Received. I'm your host today, Tim Ferguson. I'm the CEO of Audience. This is another in our series on collaboration, and you are going to get so much from my interview with our very own Bethann Johnson. And Bethann, who's a senior producer at Audience, this is we're recording this literally on her last day. She's been with us for five years, so we're going to have a a, a little, uh, we'll cry after we've turned off the microphone. Uh, but in this interview, we're going to talk about event production. And I think you're going to hear from Bethann that event production is absolutely a human experience and that bringing teams together, creating trust and relationships and rapport is so much more important than the technical details. So if you really want to hear from a master of, of how to create a successful event, particularly one where collaboration is your goal, you're going to want to listen to this episode of Message Received. So please listen to my wide ranging conversation with Bethann Johnson. So, Bethann, welcome to Message Received. Yeah, thanks, Tim. It's really such a privilege. I'm, uh, I've been listening to these, and uh, yeah, I, I hope I can uh, really live up to the standards. <laughs> oh, I'm, I have every confidence in that. And as mentioned in the introduction, you know, this is a bittersweet interview in the sense that this is your last day at Audience after five amazing years. And the sweet part is you're going on to do great things that I think are going to be so interesting. But we wanted to make sure we took this chance to, well, consider it the most public exit interview ever done in the history of the world, perhaps, uh, you know, to make sure that before you walk out the door, we capture and share with our listeners your amazing experience as a producer at audience and, uh, specifically on the topic of collaboration, which we're exploring in this series. So just can't wait to get started. Let's dive in and begin with you. And I think put yourself in context because the producer role is one where I don't think very many people go to producer school. It just doesn't happen. They end up in the producer role through many different routes. And I think yours is uh, really interesting. So could you give us your career highlights reel or personal highlights reel? It just walk people through, you know, your education, your 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 career, so we understand where how you got where you are today. Yeah, sure. So let me start at the very beginning. So um, I was born in the northwest of England, so close to Manchester. Um, and at the age of nine years old, uh, a huge change in my life. So my stepfather actually got a job at Airbus in the south of France, uh, in Toulouse. So uh, we moved there at the time. It was, uh, you know, it was it was from from my perspective, you know, quite hard to leave behind my school, my friends, uh, the country, my my family. Um, but in hindsight, it was really one of the best things that ever happened to me. So I, I then spent um, the rest of my time there in France, uh, went to directly into French school, um, learned the language um, and, and studied there, passed my French baccalaureate and then went to university. So I did um, I studied um, international business and specialised in marketing. Um, during my degree, I did have an opportunity to take a year out to do a, an internship, and that was my first taste of communications as such. So I got an internship in internal communications at Airbus, um, and there I learned so much. And, and actually, you know, 
it really set me up for what I was to do next. So I always felt like I wanted to be at the heart of communications. Um, I then studied, carried on my studies. I went to Germany. I, I um, my mum learned German at school. She would, she would occasionally speak some German at home. I was always really impressed. I loved the sound of the language. Uh, I know that's quite unique, but I really did. So I went to Germany, uh, carried on my master's degree there. And once I'd finished my master's degree, I was specialising in marketing, so looking for my first opportunity. And that's what landed me here in Basel. So I moved to Basel. I got a job with a consulting company, which was very much in business development. Um, so um, it was a mix of marketing and recruitment, really. Uh, I really enjoyed that, but I felt that I wanted to get back into a role where communications was really um, at the heart of it. So I um, I found a job in internal, commu in, in internal communications, a, a large pharma company here in Basel. Um, and then I want, I felt the need to specialise even further. And actually, that's how I landed um, here at Audience. I was just very lucky at the time. So my my partner had said, you know, why don't you try Audience? He'd, he'd, he'd seen Audience in action at one of his events um, for where he was working. And uh, I reached out and I was just very lucky and very fortunate to be given that opportunity five years ago. And um, and yeah, that sort of bring, brings me to, to today. I mean, over the past five years, I've had... Um, a range of roles, um, each with uh, each with you know growing opportunities uh, and and challenges, um, and uh, yeah. So uh, today, as senior producer uh, and content manager here at Audience, and yeah, I'm, I'm happy to sort of reflect on that with you today and and share my learnings. And in those previous experiences that you had with internal communication, both in the internship and then at the pharma company, were events part of it or was it non-event-based communication? Events were part of it and I think in, at the end of the day when you think about communications it goes very much hand in hand with events. Um, you know communications you can communicate through so many different means but holding a town hall for example um, is you know a really key way to communicate to all your employees. So actually throughout so that that opportunity there at Airbus early on and then uh, later on uh, when I joined the pharma industry um, I was always um, yeah involved in organizing events and I really enjoyed that I really enjoyed working with the different speakers and helping them to tell their stories preparing their content and um, and also um, this may sound weird but just observing the audience and seeing how they were reacting um, so you know I think this is something I still get goosebumps from today, although it's been a bit harder in the virtual setting. But, you know, an opening video is what are their reactions and um, does that resonate with them? Do, you, do they, you know, are we making an impact? So it's always been something that has been very close to my heart. I agree with you. I mean, the feeling, the satisfaction that you get seeing your work come to life and the audience engages in it and they're happy with it. It's a, it, there's no better feeling. I think it's also really good that you know if something's not working, you know when you have a flop right away, the audience switches off and you can tell that you've missed the mark. So in, unlike, I think a lot of different jobs, one of the great things about working in communication events in, in internal communication is you really see up close and personal whether what you're doing is working or not. And more often than not, what you contribute to, or well, I'm not sure I've seen anything, any exception to it, what you contribute to really works. And that's what we're here to explore today and to delve into not just communication, but 
the collaborative requirement of events, and we're going to explore that in some detail as well. So why don't we take a step back, and for those who are listening who have not worked in event design or corporate corporate event management, we're on the content side, we're on the creative side of, of corporate events. We have creative directors, we have account directors, and we have our production team. Can you describe for people, like, what is a producer? Can you demystify it for the listeners? Yeah, so that is, I have to say, that is such a great question. And it's one that I've often asked myself for the past five years. And I think if you ask um, different producers from um, different industries, different companies, you would get very different responses. Um, it very much depends on the scope of the project, um, but it also depends on an individual's interests and, and strengths. So I say each producer would be very different. And I think in the broadest of senses, um, I did look this up. So if you look at the definition of you know, a music and film producer, um, it's a person who makes the practical and financial arrangements needed to make a film, play or television or radio program. And and reflecting on that, I think to some extent it can be applied what, to what we do here at Audience. Um, so as a producer, we make the practical arrangements needed to successfully execute an event and a, a workshop um, and or a communication campaign. Um, we make it happen. But I also think it's much more than that. And I was really thinking, how can you best describe it? Because it, it, it does feel like quite a it's a very rich role. There's a lot of elements to it. But then when I was thinking about this, I thought, well, it's kind of like an orchestra conductor. So our role is really to unite the performers and the performers is the team. So it can be from our side here at audience. So you mentioned them earlier, Tim. So, you know, strategic directors, creative directors, designers, video, de video developers, our tech support um, project coordinators. And also the, from the client team as well, there are loads of stakeholders there too. So you may be working with um, a large organizing committee, you've then got your presenters, you may have some facilitators, leadership teams, various key stakeholders. And I think through, through the planning, we as producers, we set the tempo, we set the pace of the project, um, ensuring that we're moving forward and that we're hitting the right notes hitting the right milestones and keeping everybody working in a harmonious way. Um, and I guess one of the, the, the biggest um, sort of elements of the role as well is, you know, listening and listening. And when things don't sound quite right, when we feel we're missing the beat or we're going off beat, we're the ones to help um, get those discussions, have those discussions and help bring solutions that will get us back on track. Um, so yeah, so hopefully that helps explain. Um, I mean, the role itself, I would say, involves so much listening, communicating, alignment, coordination, and I think above all, it's problem solving. And I can recall, Tim, a few weeks back, we were reflecting on this and we're saying, what does a producer do? Well, it, a lot of it is problem solving. Um, and I think especially over the past year, you know, having to adapt to a whole new way of working and executing events in a virtual setting, that is even more relevant today. Absolutely. And I mean, I love your analogy and everything you've just said. There's so much to unpack there. I'd like to go back briefly to conductor. 
because it strikes me that one of the most interesting things about corporate events and our, our theme of collaboration in this series uh, is directly correlated to this, that the score, I mean, a conductor, you know, Beethoven wrote the score, and now the conductor's job is to help everyone perform that finely made, beautiful piece of music. But in a corporate event, very often we are co-creating the score with the meeting planners in real time. So you're a conductor of an orchestra, but there's not necessarily the music. We're making the music at the same time. So can you talk a little bit about that? And I think it obviously has to do with the, the combination of your listening and problem solving. At what point do you make sure that everyone in the orchestra is helping to create the music? And at what point do you have to say, no, 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 guys, actually, we need to move on and we can't keep changing it. And and this is the way this is the way we're going to play this. How do you balance that? Uh, th those tensions? Yeah, um, another another great question. I think, you know, from from at the offset of a project, you go through that process of really, you know, defining the objectives um, just de defining, you know, what do we need to help meet those objectives? So you, you can you can work out a high level plan. And I think um, you have to really work to um, certain key milestones that within that plan. You know, you know when your event date's happening. That's that's a certainty. You know the the I say the the high level structure. And then, as you say, you really do have to collaborate with with your different stakeholders, uh, with the teams involved, to really build on that together. And I think, yeah, I, I think especially nowadays, you have to be let everybody um in fact you have to encourage everyone to share what they think would be the best way to do something that you know they may know the audience better than than i do or better than our team does so we're really you know it's, it's a very it's a big collaborative effort uh working with the teams and ensuring that each person has their say each person brings their ideas to the table and i think as long as we explore that and are open to it you do then have to you know, have a deadline for, you know, for by when certain things need to be agreed. So I think, you know, setting key uh, milestones, key deadlines over the course of that project plan, but then leaving the space until that deadline to really um, explore the options together. I think that's really the key, just leaving that space to to get creative together. I think you've described very well the collaboration required to create the event. Let's now talk about collaboration within the event. So, Bethann, from a producer's point of view, what are the keys to collaboration in in event planning and event execution? Yeah, so, um, so I think there's, there's two sort of areas here. There's the collaboration in the process, in the planning phase of a project, but then there's also obviously the collaboration that you're, you know, well, the opportunities to collaborate that you're creating within the event itself. So perhaps I'll just reflect first on collaboration um, in the planning phase and the lead up to the event, because ultimately that is going to that is going to be what creates a collaborative event, right? I think it's to really set the scene, you know, to really yeah set the scene with the with the planning team up front, and then hopefully the you know you would mirror that then in the live event itself. So there's a couple of things that I. I 
I feel are really key. The first is rapport. So building close relationships uh, with the core team members. I think you, you need to act as one team. You need to be in sync. You need to understand each other's feelings and ideas and communicate smoothly together. And it can take some time to, to build that, but it's so worth it. And, you know, when I think back to pre-COVID, that was often things like, making that effort to get out of the office and go and meet our client team for a coffee, join the planning meetings in person. So rather than go back and forth by email is actually having that you know, physical contact and um, having those conversations face to face. But then, you know, speaking as well beyond the project, actually getting to know each other, finding out, you know, things that you have in common, you know, um, maybe you both have a dog or something like that. So, yeah, so basically, rapport I think is for me I guess top of the list um, in in what is you know key to collaboration um, I think the second thing too in, in 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 planning an event is having really clear roles and responsibilities I think often people are quite quite surprised with uh, what goes on behind the scenes but it, it really well depending on the scope it can require a huge team to pull off a successful event and um What's key to that is each person knowing uh, what their role is, what they're responsible for, to make sure that you know you have the right resources in place, you have the right support there, just to help things, to, you know, to help you execute to the to the to the highest standard. So for me, that's another clear element is you know, keep you know clear roles and responsibilities, and then I think finally for the the again in, throughout the, this planning phase, uh, key to collaboration is keeping an open mind. So being open to new ideas, being open to discussions. So, you know, perhaps you've chosen to go one way, but if somebody says, you know what, perhaps we should do it this way. It's being open that open to that discussion, being open to a, a change of plan and being fearless. And I think this is my biggest learning, you know, moving to the sort of virtual setting, being fearless and exploring new things is, is really what's needed right now. So, a lot of what we're doing it's new for everyone you know likely nobody's done it that way before but you need to have that courage you need to be fearless to give it a go and then you, you know you, you you get you 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 get respect for that and um also teams are grateful and also a team can feel really proud then to say this is the first day we've this is the first time we've done it that way and uh, look look at the result isn't it amazing so yeah keeping an open mind is my sort of third big area in collaboration and and then I'm thinking Tim that your question might have been more relating to how do you create a co um, collaboration during an event I think it's really making the participants making the audience feel that like they are part of the event so um, having content which is created by them so you're really co-creating that experience together I know my from a recent project I worked on we reached out to the, the full community of those who were involved in or who were going to participate in the event asking them for you know what what did the what did the event mean what what did it mean to them what did the event mean to them um, asking them to submit photos showing them in their private setting at home asking them what they wanted to see in the agenda so I think it's creating that collaborative experience starts off before the event and it's really involving as much as possible um, those who will be attending the event. 
does that does that make sense yeah it it does very much so and you you think of the i often think of the dna of an event and that whatever is in the sort of the underlying substructure of the planning and the intent is what becomes manifest in the event itself and you've just expressed that so beautifully that if you want a collaborative event you need a collaborative process to get there and that it's almost like the collaboration never ceases it's not like we collaborate and then we're done and then we do the event it's like it it goes right through the whole process and in fact some great events you're not really sure what they're going to look like until they're done because the the way the event has been designed people are contributing in real time thoughts ideas feelings through through the agenda and by the close it's almost like none of us the planners the the sponsors the no, no one really knew how it was going to turn out and there's a there's a kind of thrill to that and your word courage i mean it requires a phenomenal amount of courage and uh, just just quickly to to put a a little pin in that as the producer everyone looks to you for reassurance that this is going to work and if something starts to go wrong they look to you for to to fix it how do you manage that pressure of of all eyes looking to you in these in these moments yeah so um you know it's a really interesting one because i think there's there's how i i don't know if i should admit admit this but it's how i show myself to client teams and our team and then there's what's going on in my mind and in my mind quite often and i have to say for the past year everything has been new to me pretty much as everyone else but it's going through a checklist of questions like what are all the things that could go wrong with this and working through that checklist figuring out what the solution would be for each of those elements that might go wrong. And once you work through that, I think it gives you a certain amount of reassurance that you've, you've, you know, you're trying to cover all the bases. And as well, I think in these times right now, there is, you know, people know that things are new to a lot of us. And I think it's okay to be transparent about that as well. So you can absolutely make recommendations. You can work through, you know, the options of what to happen in this scenario or that scenario. But I think it's also okay right now to be transparent and to say, you know what, this we're going to try something new. If it works well, it's going to be fantastic. Then, you know, the tech might go down, for example. However, this is the nature of the world that we live in right now. And it will be okay. you know, we just have to make sure we've got the plan B in place for if that happens. So I think in my mind, there's, yeah, I'd say a, a lot of working through all these different scenarios. I say it's very busy in my mind a lot of times. And to the client team, it's, I think, giving them the sort of top line, you know, the, the, the top line solutions and, um, and just keeping that open communication uh, with them. Well, and it goes back to your rapport, which you you said is the first and most important thing. And I think that's just so this is where that rapport really pays off. It's like, hey, you know what? We know each other. We have a relationship here. So you're not just trusting me on blind faith. You've actually had enough interaction with me that you feel I'm going to be straight with you. 
And then making that very fine judgment, which I think you're alluding to, but I'd, I'd like to go back to it just to uncover it a, lo- a little bit more, that there is this judgment call you need to make where everyone want, is looking to you for assurance. You don't want to make anyone unnecessarily stressed. You in your own mind might have some doubts. And it's, the, it's this judgment call how much do I just smile and say, it's going to be fine? And and how much do I open up and say, well, you know what? I'm actually not sure it's going to be fine. Here are the things that I'm doing to mitigate. Do you make those, do you have a plan in advance or a set of principles that allow you to almost have pre-made the decision of how much to reveal? Or do you make it a more intuitive judgment moment by moment? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good one. So I think it really depends on the risk, the sort of the risk level. So if it's things that I sort of deem in my mind are very unlikely to happen, I probably won't mention that. They're just going to sit with me and I'll know that if in the unlikely event that this scenario is going to happen, this is what the solution is going to be. And we'll work through it at that point. If there is something that's, you know, that I would consider sort of high risk, you know, due to... I guess a key example right now would be, you know, you, you need your presenters to have the right setting in, in, when, you know, the right setup, the right equipment at home when they're actually presenting in a live event. So it's, you know, if if through rehearsals you've realised that the inter- internet connection is really bad, um, the audio is, you know, they can barely hear them. And then you also know that, you know what, there's going to be 400 people dialed in to listen to this presentation. That's, a, you know, 400 people just joining for an hour. That's 400 hours. But the likelihood is, due to what I've seen in rehearsals, that they're not going to actually get the message that was intended for them because the the setup was not optimal. I think that's a a call that you have to make at that point and say, you know what, Um, this is not going to go well unless we resolve this. So I think it really just sort of decide it based on, you know, is it is it like is it likely it's going to happen or is it unlikely? And just make the judgment based on that. Yeah, I think that's a great description of of the call. I, I also I, I think this I try in my own mind to make a distinction between like things that must go a certain way for them to go properly. Like it ha- it has to be done. There's only one way to do it. And then other things where you realize, you know what, this could actually go six or seven ways and still be fine in the end. Mm-hmm. And those things I, I worry about much less. We've been talking a lot about both virtual and live. And I just want to tease out for the audience a few a few things about virtual that you have found from a producer's point of view are different than than live meeting production. I mean, I feel. Yeah, I'll just ask you the question from a producer's point of view. What's different in virtual? Um, I think so much. I think um, more than I could ever imagine, actually, when when the you know when the time came uh, last year to actually fully pivot to virtual um i've been really learning on the go and i think there's three things that i, I would really highlight i think first um, is the venue um second is the format and thirdly the preparation so if we focus on the venue first so live events you know you go to your conference center in a virtual setting you've got to consider what platform you're going to use and your platform is your venue and it's not one size fits all 
there are so many different options out there and I think certainly I am guilty of this I think I made the mistake just thinking you know let's use zoom for everything you know zoom works let's use zoom for everything but I think it's really important as you would like you know as you would consider your venue you know are there enough rooms for workshops you know what does the main plenary space look like um what are the networking opportunities you know what's the coffee area like um I think you do have to also consider this for your virtual setting as well so um the platform that I'm selecting does it meet our objectives you know if you're aiming for an event that provides networking opportunities breakout sessions engaging live plenary um you should absolutely check that the the platform that you're using can allow for that experience as well so I think so many learnings on you know talking about platforms I think very overwhelming at times there's just so much out there um uh, existing platforms have um new developments each week but then there's also new platforms coming out each week there's so much to explore there's so many um opportunities here to get really innovative and to do things differently so yeah i think the venue the virtual platform is um is so important to get that right and then secondly talking about the format so live events it's absolutely fine if your event starts at 9am finishes at 5pm you've got an hour lunch break you've got a couple of coffee breaks in there however can you imagine asking all of your attendees to sit in front of their screen and attend a virtual event that lasts a full day i think we're all um you know we've all uh, had a bit of zoom fatigue recently or yeah teams calls or webex or whatever you're using it's um we've all realized that we have to do this differently so really when considering the format i'd say from my perspective i think maximum length should be three hours to ask for someone to sit at the screen but within that time make sure there are sufficient times to have a break recently we've also introduce things like you know having a, a podcast break so maybe you listen to a podcast get right away from your screen for a bit so you're still learning you're still listening you're still you're still taking part in the event but you're doing it away from your desk also providing time for people to go for a walk you know get, give them time to get away from the desk and just you know don't listen to anything just just listen to the birds go into the forest go for a walk but building those moments of you know quiet time giving people time away from their desk um also considering you know what content needs to be synchronous so it would take place live and what content can be asynchronous so um again podcast is a great example perhaps in the lead up to the event you're going to release a couple of podcasts to already introduce certain topics or perhaps you're going to pre-record some content and let people listen to watch that content at a time that works for them so there are so many um different formats again i think it all goes back to considering what your objectives are what your audience uh, want to hear and then thinking of creative ways to give them what they want but being mindful of the fact that you know a lot of us are working from home and give people opportunities to away from their screen as well so that was on the format and then finally um preparation and planning so i remember when we you know when we 
started to pivot to to virtual just thinking oh you know should be simple preparing you know preparing our speakers uh, for for you know uh, an event that's going to take place on teams or or on zoom you know we we've done this in the past you know we have meetings on teams and on zoom but in actual fact i think this is my biggest learning is it it feels like it actually takes more time than preparing in a live setting it just feels it's a lot easier to um interact with people and to work with presenters in a live setting especially when it comes to rehearsals you're in a room with them a lot of the time so it's very easy to sort of you know gauge the, the sort of body language and and give advice and you know show them where to walk on and off stage and and uh, to really get a feel for the event for the room etc but in a virtual setting each person each presenter is responsible for their own setup and that's a, a huge responsibility so in addition to me you know as a presenter presenting i've also got to make sure that you know all my tech is is set up in the most optimal optimal way and i think a lot of us have become it experts through this um through this experience and and there i was just talking about you know this sort of extra i don't know if i should call it a burden but sometimes it does feel like that on presenters you know the, the considerations they have to consider when they're preparing for a virtual event but it also goes the same for um attendees so often you know attendees in a live event you know that if it was a three-day live event at a conference center they'd likely arrive the evening before you know so they'd get a feeling for the environment they'd perhaps go and have a, a drink and start meeting and connecting with their colleagues at the bar um but now you know if you're, you're doing it on a new virtual platform this is your new virtual venue quite often you do also need to give them opportunities to explore it to get familiar with it beforehand is there, you know, is are their computers um, set up to be able to attend it in the most optimal way? There's a lot of guidance there needed. I think having attendees just log in at the start of a conference and just expecting that they are going to get the best experience is is quite unlikely nowadays. I think as much as presenters need to be prepared for that experience, we do also need to prepare our attendees and participants for that experience as well. I think it's such an important point about the venue and the environment that in live, many things are self-explanatory. So if I walk into a plenary room and I see a low stage with not a lot of lighting around it, but around the perimeter of the room, I see all these stations with whiteboards and post-it notes and I, I get right away and there's 10, they're all numbered one to 10. I right away, I walk in the room and I know as a participant, oh, there's going to be a lot of breakouts. I'm going to be I'm going to be on my feet. No need for any explanation. But in virtual, I join and it looks exactly like the previous meeting I was in and getting that across uh, to the to the participants. Here's what you can expect requires that much more thoughtfulness in the way that mm. it's explained. And can you hit on that uh, briefly for us in virtual specifically around collaboration. What have been the keys to successful collaboration for a virtual event? So are we talking about the, the planning or the- in the, in, the, in the experience. So let's say you have 200 people online mm. yeah. and you want them to not be on the receiving end of communication and yeah. just hearing great presentations and listening to interesting content, but you want them to be, let's say, uh, creating ideas together, mm. brainstorming. We're here to generate 
guiding principles for the way we're going to move forward or uh, we want to create a playbook for success in the coming year, something like that. What have been the, the tricks and techniques that are working there? So I think, well, the, big, the biggest uh, one obviously is um, interactivity. Um, I think it's having a platform that allows that interactivity, creating the time in the program to allow for that um, interactivity and also encouraging it. I mean, it's really easy to say, isn't it? But at the end of the day, each individual will be responsible for engaging as well. But you can help them and you can you can help them by creating an experience that is exciting, that is inspiring, that makes them want to get involved. So really, um, I think it all goes back again to formats. So really making sure that, you know, we're thinking outside the box when it comes to formats. Don't just do a standard presentation. You know, why not make it into a quiz? And, you know, the, the participants involved, why not team them up? So they're doing a quiz, but then, you know, they're competing as teams um, and their team is made up of people they haven't met before. But all of a sudden they've then got this one thing in common and um, they want to win together. So it's just thinking of ways of, um, you know, although we're all sat um, remotely in different locations, is how can you get people to connect? How can you get people to feel like they're part of a community? And I think there's an endless way to do that. And well, there's endless ways to do that. And I think we shouldn't forget as well, you know, I think 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 back to you know live events again and we always had you know team building experiences and they were quite often the highlights of the events it's that time that people have to come together to network to meet people they haven't met before or perhaps to catch up with a colleague that they've not seen in a while um it feels that that is taken away from us to some extent in in the virtual setting but there are also fun uh, team building activities that you can do and sometimes it's as simple as just putting people into small discussion groups and giving them an icebreaker question and it could be just something so random like what's your favorite podcast um or um what's your favorite meal uh, just to get the conversation going and then the conversation may go somewhere else but it's providing that time just to talk about things outside of work too to really build those connections and to really yeah really make them feel like they're part of of a community last week beth then i had my first vaccine and I get another in I guess three weeks or so and this is happening around the world and if all things go as all of us hope we are in the near future going to have a choice we can go virtual we can go live or we can go hybrid and I think in our industry at the moment the hybrid there's a lot of buzz and speculation about what this might look like what are your thoughts on the hybrid future how do you see it yeah, so uh, first, firstly, congrats on your first vaccine. Amazing news. Um, yeah, and then talking about hybrid, I mean, I, obviously this term is in, in, the, in the event setting has been floating for quite some time now. And, and um, I'm, not, I'm not sure how I feel about it, if I'm completely honest. I, and I think as well, perhaps, perhaps it's because it's such a broad term, hybrid. And, and hybrid, I guess, basically meaning a mix of two different things, a mix of people being there live in person and a mix of people joining virtually and I think this would work in some cases but what's most important is to consider you know what is most valuable for the participants um, is it that it's a fully virtual experience and that each person is on a you know on the same level each person's joining remotely by themselves through their laptop 
consistent experience across the board? Um, or would it be most valuable to have everybody there in person and no option for people joining remotely just because that wouldn't bring them anything? Because what we want to do is in a physical space. So only those who are joining um, face to face, it would make sense for them. And of course, we can share sort of the outputs with those um, other participants who weren't able to make it in person afterwards. Or would it really be valuable to have a mix? So give people the option of uh, joining face to face um, and also give people the option to join remotely, virtually. And I think, and I guess this is where I, I sort of struggle because I've not really had the experience in this yet. So I'm really actually looking forward to seeing what different solutions there are out there, um, which solutions are out there, which which can really um, show um, that, you know, the, the event itself, this hybrid event really met the objectives and people loved it, whether they joined virtually or whether they joined face to face. Um, but I think it's the important thing would be to really consider that it's designing two different experiences. So you need to design an experience for those who are there physically, but you do also need to design the experience for those joining virtually. Um, I think we can't just expect that, you know, you, you design the event for those who attend in person and simply stream the live sessions out to those joining remotely. Um, you know, those joining remotely may feel, oh, you know, I really feel like I'm missing out. Um, I don't really think it's worth my time actually dialing into this or, you know, watching this um, here from home. I, I really wish I was there. So I think it's avoiding that feeling and also being really transparent with with um, with those sort of two audiences that yes, they will get a different experience and this is what's included in the program for you. This is what you will be able to access and and um, this is what you as a remote attendee, this is what you will access differently. So I think those are my thoughts so far. Again, I, I would just say I've not yet got the experience in it. So I am really looking forward to seeing what the future holds. And I guess it goes back to what I was saying earlier. I think this is where I think I will need to <laughs> find some courage again and just try new things and really see what works, but also involve um, the attendees and the participants in that process and being really transparent with them throughout that process and involving them to, to design those different experiences in a way yeah. that works best for them. Yeah, you brought us beautifully full circle to collaboration and the idea of the co-created event having this advantage of participants are going to get what they want from the event because they helped build it and they've they've built it to meet their needs. I've been fascinated in the last year the the range of there are there are definitely events that we're doing that I think are superior virtually that will not go back to live for very very good reason and then others that you just can't it's only going to work live. It's only going to have that kind of uh, the the experience is only going to work live. And what you're saying there to me is just exactly right. It's go back to first principles. What are the objectives of this event? What are we designing for? Who are we designing for? And the the right hybrid solutions will be co-created the way the right solutions are are created for a all live or all virtual event, uh, something like this. So. Final question for you, but then our show is called Message Received. And uh, what is the one message about 
collaboration that you want to make sure the listeners receive from us today? Yeah, so I think um, based on my five years here at Audience and the role of a producer, my biggest uh, message that I want to get across is take the time to get to know your team um, obviously the client team and, and our team here at Audience, learn about each other and not just your roles and responsibilities on the project uh, but also about your personalities, what makes each one of you tick, how you can get the best out of each other and, and I think when you are in the final execu execution phase of a project and when the hours are long and the pressure is really high you can really see how investing in these relationships upfront really pays off and um, you have each other's backs you support each other you act as one team you've got the same objective and it just means that all of a sudden when unexpected problems come up and you know this happens it's the nature of it but wh when these problems do come up working as a team um, those problems very quickly turn into possibilities and and how can we resolve this efficiently and creatively together so you really feel that that sense of t togetherness to deliver something amazing and i think from from my point of view that is really the best feeling and um once the event is over is looking back together and seeing um and really celebrating what you've achieved together i think it's maybe the best event planning call to action i've ever heard that that's exactly what uh, resonates with me so deeply and it, and it shows why you're just so great at what you do, Bethann, as a producer, that, that feeling of it's so much larger than making sure that the stage is where it needs to be and the lights are where they need to be and that we've got the right audio. It is this much, uh, it's, a, it's such a human endeavor and it really is about teamwork. And you've just, I think you, everyone listening today is leaving, realizing that the producer role is just so rich and varied and important. So thank you for everything that you've shared with us today. And we wish you all the best in your future uh, adventures. And we hope audience will somehow be part of them along the way. Thanks, Tim. No, absolutely. I'm gonna say best five years here. And uh, I look forward to working with you all again in the near future. Thank you for listening. If you love this episode of Message Received, please follow and come back for the next episode, exploring the value of creative collaboration with Natalie Eifred, Dan Newman, and Elaine Welch. <laughs>